0: Please take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm grateful for so many of you who've prayed for me over the last week or so. My 95-year-old dad uh, slipped peacefully and quietly into the arms of Jesus this last week. The uh, memorial service will be tomorrow. My family and I will be traveling uh, this afternoon late, and we'll be there for that service. And I, I just really appreciate the words of uh, comfort and uh, everything that you have said and done. I was telling my grandson, it's an, an old phrase. I guess Jan had never heard it before. And just to, the, the reality for the believer, uh, the world views us as living in the land of the living and going to the land of the dying, but those of us who are in Christ know better. We are in the land of the dying, and Christians, we will be in the land of the living, and that forever. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read through uh, verse 11, and we will consider part of that text today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine Their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is clear, your word is perfect. And so we don't want to be swayed, as these certain men were, by other teachings, other doctrines that in the end will not only believe, lead, lead to false beliefs, but false ways of living and ungodly living. So I thank you that you help us to know your word. Now, Father, help us to unpack at least the truth from these several verses that we'll be considering today. God, grant me uh, what I need. I've studied, Lord, but unless your Holy Spirit takes your word and, and drives it into our hearts, begins that work or continues that work of change, of transformation, Lord, this will just be another message with empty words. I pray that it is not that, that it will produce exactly what you have ordained that it would do. And so thank you, Father, we look confidently now at what you will teach us during these moments, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me review very, very briefly verses 1 and 2. I shared that with you last week. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command, again, this is without question, a military motif. And if you look carefully throughout the Bible and particularly throughout the New Testament, it's not the only picture of the church, but it is an accurate picture of the church. Paul uses the word command. He is an apostle by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Someone said it like this for the Christian. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Last week I shared with you some of these verses, and obviously as we work through these, I I, I put these verses up for you to jot down, go back and review later. But Paul uses this imagery not only in 1st, but also in 2nd Timothy. He tells Timothy, and he's telling all of us, wage the good warfare. And then he goes to a personal application of himself. Was Paul a warrior? Here's what he said. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight of the faith. And that is the mindset of the Christian. Last week, I threw out this term, warrior poet. I didn't really define it. And somebody who was here last week, one of our members, latched onto that and went onto PowerPoint and found imagery and put into the words. You remember what I said? I saw when I was at a craft fair recently a guy who was obviously a veteran of of our services, and he had this t-shirt that said veteran, and it was defined as a person who wrote a blank check to the United States of America for an amount up to and including one's life. And I said, look, that's what the Apostle Paul did. He was a warrior poet. He was a poetic warrior for God. Simply what that is, is someone who knew that he was in, now get this, a spiritual battle for a cause that was worth giving his life for. And so he inserted those words that I'd shared with you last week. That's what all of us have been called to do. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul by command of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you were called, you were conscripted into the army of God. And you took an oath of service. God wants you to be a warrior poet, a poetic warrior, a person who wrote a blank check to Jesus Christ for an amount up to and including his life. That's what the Apostle Paul did. That's what he expected Timothy to do. That's what he expects us to do, each one of us here today, ready to fight. Now, remember, and I just reminded you, it's spiritual. It's spiritual warfare we are in. The world, the flesh, the devil, we don't fight with earthly human weapons. We fight with weapons that God has granted us for the spiritual warfare, but we are committed to fight and even die for a cause, the gospel cause, that is above ourselves. So, the aim of our message today, verses 3 through 5, that's all we're going to tackle. It is part 1 of how to deal with false teachers and false doctrine. So we're going to begin to open up this theme that is carried throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And so this is for all of us, young and old. How do you deal with false teachers and their false doctrine? Another word for false doctrine is heresy. And we'll come to some things that we described this last week. Verse 3, let's look at it. It's on your outline. I just gave the verses, basically no title, because we're going to exegete these verses, pull out the meaning of the words, and try to apply it to ourselves. Paul says, as I, and let me put it kind of in the proper context, as I, when I was going to Macedonia. So here's Paul. He's at Ephesus with Timothy, but he left for Macedonia and he was already in the process of dealing with false teachers. So, it's a twofold reminder. As when I was going to Macedonia, I urged you, and I'm urging you again, remain at Ephesus. By the way, that urge is also a military kind of connotation, so that you may charge. Let me say something about Timothy that I did not say this last week. People saw something in Timothy. Now, I tried to to just allude to this, and I really tried to apply it to our students. It applies to all of us, but especially students, even children. And I, I know that sometimes there are children here who are kind of in between. They're moving from dealing with things in the concrete to the abstract and so you may not get all these things you may may not pick up all the things that pastor marty shares but i want you to hear them and then parents and grandparents i want you to drill deep these things need to be heard by our children and especially our students who are able to take these things people saw something in timothy when he was a young man That I pray that people who are around you, starting with your family, but emanating out in concentric circles, that people see something in you, students and young people. Here's what he said. Paul said about him from the book of Acts. He's going back. He's already been through Lystra. Timothy no doubt has heard him, maybe even converted as a teenager. So here he is a couple of years later, and we find these words recorded about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, not just his hometown, but down the streets. It would be like people saying, he was well spoken of. People knew of his reputation, not only in northwest Oklahoma City, but also in Edmond. His reputation had gone out among those who named the name of Jesus. And then adding to another thing about Timothy, people saw something in Timothy, but so did Paul because we find these words written in Philippians chapter 2, I have no one like him. Now, Paul discipled a lot of men. There were a lot of good guys. Barnabas was one of those. Silas. He just had this whole string of of, of men. But here's what he said about Timothy. There there was something that set Timothy apart. I have no one like him. We're going to come to this in just a few moments little bit more of an explanation, for I I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul also saw something else, and that's why we see the word urge there in verse 3. Timothy, when I went to Macedonia, now I'm doing it a second time. I'm urging you, remain at Ephesus. I think Paul recognized that Timothy was not wired like he was. Are you following me? Paul was this bold, out there kind of guy, just, just cutting a swath. Timothy wasn't wired like that. We're all wired differently. You'll find people who are type A, hard chargers. That was Paul. You'll find other people that are a little bit more, what's the word, sanguine, even melancholy, retiring, shy, timid, even approaching cowardice. Now, did Paul see that as something that disqualified Timothy? No. But here's what he told him. Let no one despise your youth. I I, I just have a feeling from these words that there were people that were older. Remember, Timothy was probably 40-ish, something like that, but he still felt like a kid. By the way, are there any of you who are 40-somethings or 50-somethings or 60-somethings or 70-somethings who still feel in some ways like you're a kid? And that others are adults and you haven't quite grown up yet? You ever feel like that? And I think Timothy had this kind of mindset. He, He was wired like this. And Paul said, look, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And that doesn't mean for you to bow out your chest and just be braggadocious and all the rest of that. But here's what he says. Here's what you need to do so that people will not, those who are older, will not look down on your youth. Set the believers an example to follow in speech. Watch your talk. In conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And I'm telling you what, I don't care if you're 16 years old, Us older folks, if you are doing that, teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, if your life is an example in conduct, speech, faith, love, and purity, no one's going to be looking down on your youthfulness. They might look up to you. For God has not, this, this is another thing that Paul had said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and I think it grows out of, again, was it a flaw? Was it just a weakness in character? Was it just the way he was wired? It really doesn't matter because Paul, as a mentor, was exhorting Timothy. He said, look, God has not given you. He, okay, let, let's apply this. He has not given you a spirit of fear. Another translation says Timidity shrinking back. God has not given you a spirit of fear, timidity, shrinking back, cowardice. What He has given you is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, a sound mind, good judgment. And I love the way that Paul encouraged young Timothy. And he said, here's the kind of guy I need to leave behind who will take the Word of God and help the health of the church. Now, this is interesting. Why did Paul have to urge him? Well, maybe he was timid. It might have been because Timothy just wanted to go with Paul. I think Timothy at heart was a church planter. I want to be on the front lines, Paul. I want to be with you. I don't want to stay back at Ephesus with all those problems. Yuck. And he said, here's basically what he was saying. Timothy, right now, I need a man that I can trust back there with them to continue the work that I started of correcting false teachers and false doctrine. Here's a stunning thing. Paul knew, listen to this, Paul knew that the health of the church at Ephesus at that time was more important for Timothy to stay there and correct with sound doctrine, than it was for Timothy to be out on the front line planting new churches. I know that Paul was already in the process of doing this. You know how I know? Scripture says it. I urge you, what I've started, I want you to complete because that's the first part. We've already read that, verse 3. And then he, he shares a little bit about what he'd already done that the certain persons that I want you to encourage not to teach strange doctrine, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have... This is the second occurrence of this phrase. We're not going to unpack it today. We'll unpack it when we get to chapter 1, verse 20. Paul had already started the process of correction in the church He says this, by handing over these two prominent men who were teaching, handing them over to Satan so that they would be taught not to blaspheme. Now, the rest of the sermon, you're probably going to be wondering, what in the world does that mean? Again, we'll look at that a little bit later. Basically, here's what it says. In no uncertain terms, this was serious stuff. All right? even the best of churches where there is false doctrine that is slipping in through whatever sources, but particularly leaders. And Paul took it very, very seriously. Look what he says later on in Titus, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Next week, we're going to talk about how that these teachers wanted to be experts in the law. They didn't know what they were talking about. They were leading people to eternal damnation. through their misapplication of the law of God. So, for they are unprofitable and worthless as for a person who... So not only are you to avoid the bad doctrine, but you're to avoid the false teachers. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Wow, I... When was the last time that you were in a church where that was actually preached and even more than that, it was actually carried out ultimately by the members of the church? Serious stuff. Okay, let's see what they were doing, at least a little bit of what they were doing. Next part on the outline. You are to instruct certain persons not to teach which means they were currently in the church. I've thought about this for the last couple of weeks. I've racked my brain. And I I could be blind, but I don't see anybody or know of anybody currently at Heritage Baptist Church who fits this description. Okay? Okay. So just be assured, I'm not going after you if you disagree with me about certain outlying doctrines, teachings. We're going straight to the heart of the matter here. Certain persons currently in the church, usually self-appointed, at least that's the gist that you get from reading this passage, who who put themselves forward as experts. They might have come from outside the church. I see it in our day as people who come into the church and they they gain a following and then they begin to teach other doctrine, unsound doctrine. But primarily, Paul realizes that these people are, are from within the church. Look at this. It's amazing how all of these connections, the historical book of Acts, and how it coordinates with books like 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And and, and so here we are with Paul now coming back. He calls for the elders of the Ephesian church, has them come to Miletus, because he's giving them his parting words before he departs, and he'll never see them again. So here's what he says to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves, Guys and and leaders, teachers, Sunday school teachers. Dads and others who lead your families. Mothers who have a leadership responsibility with with your babies and with your grandbabies. But primarily we're talking about the elders, the pastors in the church. First look to yourselves. Don't think it can't happen to you. And then to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Let's continue on, for I know. Now watch some of the descriptions that I'm going to give in several verses. Here's how false teachers are described. I know that after my departure, savage, Jesus in Matthew seven 15, I've listed that, describes these wolves as ravenous. They're not only savage, they're hungry. Will come in among you, from among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, let let me just give you a little bit of insight Outwardly, the average person in the church at Ephesus would not have been able to tell. These guys looked good. When they showed up at church, always had a big smile, big handshake, and hello, brother so and so, and nice to see you, and how I. Oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Outwardly, they looked really good, but inwardly, inwardly, they were ravenous, savage wolves. We shouldn't be surprised. Paul says this, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They have the appearance of godliness. They deny its power. They oppose the truth. Again, avoid such people. So these people, and again, right now I I know of no one. I've been in churches where I considered and discerned, but you... The fence that keeps false prophets out is the Word of God. Not just given out, but to the best of the ability from the leaders on down, they're trying to live it out. False prophets show up in a church like that, uh, no, not easy pickings. By the way, from nature, you guys ever watch National Geographic on TV or you watch nature shows. I love nature shows. I have to confess, you know sometimes the picture of the the killer whale coming out, eating the shark, the great white. those in nature, what do savage wolves? Ravenous wolves go after in the pack, in the flock. What do they go after? The weak. And who, listen, that could be, usually you say the old and infirm or the very young. Well, think of it spiritually. Those who ought to be mature and healthy and strong to the day they die, spiritually or they're weak because they have not taken in the Word of God. And those among us who are most vulnerable are the young. That's who the savage wolves will go after, not only in nature, but also in the church. And our students and our children will be exposed To all manner of things. And parent, listen to me, listen to me, parent, and grandparent. Your objective must be to train up your child or your grandchild with God's Word and pray that the Holy Spirit drives His Word into their hearts and forms Christ's character. Listen to me. Whether they become successful in business, or good athletes, or good musicians, or handsome, or beautiful, or whether or not they make straight A's, I'm not talking about any of those things being unimportant, but those matter of little consequence compared to the matter of becoming holy, godly, mature Christians. And again, just a couple of reminders. The thief is not coming to be your friend, young people. The enemy of your souls, he's coming to kill and steal and destroy. He's prowling about, even, even in the service, he's prowling about seeking someone that he can devour. Why? Because they are of their father, the devil. He is the father of lies. He is a murderer from the beginning. He speaks out of his own nature. He's a liar. And so are they. Teach certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. We went over this last week. Uh, You always go back. I always go back and say, okay, now, did the words that I use communicate? And so last week I talked about, you remember what I talked about? I'm, I'm going over here to the right, orthodoxy. Is it, does anybody remember that? Yeah. Orthodoxy? Yeah. Or was it kind of, whew, I have no idea what that means. And Okay, orthodox. Greek word, very interesting. Doxy just means teaching. Ortho, Greek word not found in the Bible, but we get words today from that. What is an orthodontist? Someone who does what? Straightens teeth. What is an orthopedist? Someone who straightens limbs. So orthodoxy is straight, sound, solid, wholesome doctrine. But what the Bible does use here is another word, Hagiano teaching. I'm not using that to impress you with my Greek because that's Greek with an Oklahoma accent terrible if there were a greek professor of mine sitting here he'd say stop that don't ever do that again that's the word that's used in the bible we get our word hygienic from it clean pure doctrine straight doctrine that is opposed to what orthodoxy does anybody remember the other side of that heterodoxy, other doctrine, false doctrine that will ultimately destroy. I cannot stress enough, this may bore some of you, frankly, but I'm going to stress over and over and over again, there is not one truth and another truth. You're hearing that. You know what that is? We're going to talk about that next week. That's a myth. There's only one truth, and then there's everything else. There's orthodoxy, and then there's heterodoxy, and that's what Paul was warning us against different doctrine. And I'm telling you, this can be so slick. The Spirit tells us expressly, hear this. That in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to this kind of thing. And then he jumps, and here's here's why I say it's not multiple things, it's one or the other. The whole issue is the gospel. Paul in Galatians said this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ Christ and are turning, watch this, to a different gospel that is not another one at all. It's not a different one at all. It's a false gospel. Let me tell you, it's slick. Let me give you one warning. I saw this about a week and a half ago. I've done a little bit of research. <sighs> Every couple of years there comes out in the evangelical community in our nation. Now I'm just talking about, I'm most familiar with, with, with the country in which I live and the state of evangelical churches. And, and so I share this. And every every several years there comes out a new program that if you apply this program, We're going to win the world for Christ. Just go online and buy the studies. False teachers always love the material gain that comes from it. So just buy the studies. Do it. Buy all of these books for your church. And then when you put it into practice, it's going to change the world. And they never do because they get away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the slickest to come along in a long time is a new campaign. You're not going to see it on the the regular outlets that you might think. And it's designed to hit a target audience of young people. Who's the enemy going to target? Okay. Here's the title of the new campaign. He gets us. It, I'm telling you guys, it is slick. It's going to make an appeal. But it is a false doctrine of the gospel. And when you see those ads, young people, you remember this. You go back and see what they're saying and see if they say anything about the horror of sin and what Jesus came to do on the cross to pay for sins that we have committed. And by repentance and faith, we can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, getting the gospel right is the best thing we can do. False teachers may not come in like right here, but they will come in through these threads of books and studies and all of the rest of that. It's the most important thing we can do. Let me just ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for when the next false teacher comes with the newest book that adds to the Word of God, or perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Dads, are you ready? To help your children, grandfathers, your, your grandchildren. And I'm not excluding the moms and the grandmothers from that at all. The way you can be ready is do what Paul says. Devote yourself to sound, healthy, straight biblical doctrine instead of the things that will lead, as Paul says, to shipwreck. And that leads us to the next statement. Don't devote, they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, which is by faith. Now, here's an indication. And watch how this happens. There is every indication that these men started what looked like okay. They probably followed after Paul. They followed after the doctrine that he was teaching. They paid attention. But little by little, they allowed the other teaching, the unhealthy, the heterodox teaching, and began to examine things that were more interesting than the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And pretty soon they were coming up with all kinds of outlandish interpretations that were designed to suit their own fleshly experiences. Paul names names Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas. You remember what he said about Demas? Having loved this present world, he departed. We'll talk about more about what that looks like this next week. I I'll just mention this because in, in looking forward to next week, the perversion of the proper use of the of, of the of the law of God to lead us to the gospel. And Paul basically, do some study beforehand. Paul basically, in the next several verses that I read this morning gives an outline of the moral law of God, which has a very specific design to lead people to what it led Paul to in the verses that are come, coming up, as we study later in chapter 1, a sense of deep humility over being shown my sins and my need for a Savior. And when false doctrine comes, here, here's, here's one of the ways it's going to look. Take any one of those things listed, particularly I'm talking about in uh, verses 8 through 10, and put a blank in there, and then put Christian, hyphenated Christianity. We've talked about that before, haven't we? I'll I'll just give an illustration. One of the things it talks about is people who are liars. They self-identify as liars. I read a statement like this last week. It was with another one. But you can be a fill-in-the-blank, one of these things here, and be a Christian. You can be a liar, perjurer, and be a Christian. Here's what I want you to do with that. Examine that for yourself. Do some study. We'll come back and look at that more thoroughly next week and try to put an answer from God's Word to that. Here's why I say that. Uh, shared this earlier with our ABF class a couple of weeks ago. Some of you are familiar with this, the Ligonier Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul started that. Every two years, they come out with a survey. I'm not sure exactly the churches, but it is a, a fairly accurate cross-representation of evangelical churches. And they came out with a new one, 2022. 2022. And every year, the answers to these questions, simple questions to ask people who consider themselves like we do, evangelicals, at least in America, we're becoming as a group more heretical. Let let me just give you one example. Here was the first statement. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. How many of you strongly agree with that statement that God is perfect and cannot make a mistake? Let me see your hands. Mm, As far as I can tell, except for those of you who are asleep, 100%. In the evangelical church in America, only 51% of an average church agreed with that statement. And I could go down the list. And that's why, thank you, Jonathan, for singing one of my favorite songs, an anthem of the Reformation, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Tomorrow, when most of our contemporary culture is celebrating Halloween, 505 years ago, a monk by the name of Martin Luther got fed up with the church teaching that there is a place called purgatory, which when you die, if you're in the church, but you haven't quite earned enough merits to get you into heaven you go to a partial punishment place called purgatory. It's not a ski area in Colorado. you got to earn your way, and oh, guess what? They were, boy, they were, the Roman Catholic Church, they were trying to build, have you ever been there? It's magnificent, the Basilica, St. Paul's Basilica at Rome, and so to raise money, they had their priests go out and sell indulgences. And if you've ever seen one, they're pieces of paper. You pay money for it, and it tells you that certain sins have been forgiven. Buying your way into heaven. And Martin Luther, who several years before had seen that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, challenged that, that day, 505 years ago, and began the Protestant Reformation. Do we care? Should we care? Should we care about the state of theology among evangelical churches today? This is our church. The answer is yes, why? Okay, here's, I'm driving this home, okay? Here's the reason. Somebody asked me last week, what kind of church is heritage? Hmm. Here was my answer. A Bible-teaching, Christ-centered church. You better add the the Christ-centered. There are probably, I don't know, there are probably some who say all heritage is concerned about is just packing doctrine into the heads of people. That's a half-truth. The other side of the truth is the Apostle Paul just blows up in our face in chapter 1, When in verse 5, here's what he says. Why is all of this important? Why is it important that we know sound doctrine and we have sound doctrine in our heads so it can make its way into our hearts? Because here's the aim of our charge. It's love. Paul says the reason Ephesian church that I want sound doctrine to be the the foundation of who you are, the pillar and the buttress, the, 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 the foundation of the truth, as he says later on, is so that it will issue forth into, now listen to this, love. Not the world's concept of love that just accepts everything and turns its head and looks the other way. He wants the Word to dwell richly in us. So that what comes out in our daily lives is love. He wants a heart and passion to let our lives match our lips. Isn't that what Jesus said was the goal of the gospel? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's the first, but the second cannot be negated to love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, in case you just don't remember it, looking forward, jumping forward, in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, what was the first church that was addressed by Jesus? The church at Ephesus. What was the problem that they had? They had sound doctrine. It says that. I know your works. I I know that you can't bear with those who teach false doctrines. But here's what I have against you, church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. That's why Paul says that the goal, the aim of our charge is love. It's the goal of everything that issues from a pure heart, a heart that's been purified by the blood of Jesus. A heart, in other words, that genuinely desires to share God's truth. Not just so that you can win an argument. I, I've, I've done that. Let me study. Let me, get my, let me get my proof texts all in a row so I can win an argument. And if I have not love, Paul says I'm worth, worth nothing. Not only a pure heart, but he says love that grows out of a good conscience, listen to that. Paul would say on several occasions, my conscience is clear, no ulterior motives. I'm not seeking gain. I'll follow God even when it's inconvenient. I'm going to tell you something. I'll not always be the pastor of this church. Someday, I did some calculation. My my dad died at 95. That's 23 years from where I am right now. Maybe I'll be in the pulpit another 23 years. I doubt it. But here's the thing. No matter who fills this pulpit, if he does not have a heart, this this is something that, that develop, you develop, you work on. It just let you in on this insight. If things are not in a right relationship with Jan. Literally, literally, I can't preach. If we've had a fight... Saturday night, even if it was her fault, which it usually is. <laughs> you know better than that. You know better than that. And I do not do something. It may not solve the problem. It may not make it, say that we agree about whatever we're disagreeing about, But if I do not have a clear conscience, I cannot get up here and preach the Word to you. And and you be sure, whenever I shuffle off this mortal coil, that the next pastor you get also has that mindset. Paul, in another place, well, the writer to Hebrews, I think it was Paul, said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But not only that, a sincere faith, one who is truly born again, one who has a genuine relationship, a genuine daily walk with Christ, not by any means perfect, but Spirit-filled and seeking daily to live out the implications of the gospel and to put away living in the flesh. And it should be pretty clear by the time we get to the end of verse 5, these men, these false apostles, these false prophets, these false teachers did not possess these qualities. And that's why he said it was so important. Just one one final thing. I, I was looking at this and I thought, what about those who have made a shipwreck of their faith? What about Demas? You know, probably no one could stand at the head of the line, although Paul says he does stand at the head of the line in terms of being the chief of sinners later on. But I I thought about Peter and his failure and how Jesus restored him. What did he use to restore him? He used love that grew out of the revealed Word of God. You remember the story, and you've studied it many times. I just want to walk you through it just in case you're in that place where you think, oh, I, you know, I've made a shipwreck of my faith. Let Jesus restore you through his word. That's what this is right here. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these He said to him, that's Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, unless you look that up in Blue Letter Bible, love and love, same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Peter, do you agape me? Do you really love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Peter knew he fell far short of that, so he answered with another word for love. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. doesn't cut it. Jesus asked him a second time. Oh, by the way, what, what, did, what was the restorative thing that Jesus told Peter to do? Feed my lambs, okay? Word of God. You, you got to get, you get yourself right, and then once you do, feed my lambs. He does it a second time. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Peter's probably getting a little bit agitated now. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother, Phileo. Okay, Peter, once you get it right, tend my sheep. Third time. Boy, Jesus was so smart and wise in his restoration. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of God, do you, not agape this time, phileo, do do you, do you really even love me like a brother? Now, it says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. We normally think that Peter was grieved because he said it three times. I think he was grieved because of what he asked. Do you even really love me like you say you do as a brother? And Peter's response was, Lord, you know everything. And you know about all I can work up now is that I love you like a brother. And Jesus said, That'll do for now. Go feed my sheep. Do you need to be restored today? sound doctrine. Get away from the heterodoxy. Grasp the orthodoxy of Scripture. Let it have as your aim, everyone, the ultimate goal, love. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Father, I thank you that you lead us and guide us into your Word. Thank you that you reveal things that are so important for us to know, but not only to know, but to do. And I pray that that the people of God here at Heritage, assembled this morning, would have been able to see the difference between those two and yet the connectedness between those two. Help us to lovingly ferret out false teaching and avoid it, avoid the teachers that teach it. Help us to embrace sound doctrine to love it, to to devote ourselves to it, so that flowing from that will be a heart that issues into genuine agape love for you and for those around us. So, Father, we thank you and help us to respond. If there is anyone here, Lord, that does not know you, I pray that today would be the day somehow you would reveal to that person his or her sin that is not a small thing, but worthy of the just judgment of you, our mighty God. But that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the sole sacrifice for that sin. And Lord, that you would grant them repentance and faith to turn away from that sin and to follow you. I pray that those of us who know you might be drawn closer to you today to put off those worldly things that drag us down, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We know that you will give grace and mercy, that it is available for all who seek. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.